Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub, and um, I don't know how I am today because we're recording this on Saturday, and it's coming out on Wednesday again, and it's been a hell of a month for Wednesdays. <laughs> uh, my name is Michael. I'm a chaser, and uh, I'm I'm a confused boy today because Trevor didn't have us play him into the show with our little our, our fantastic acapella beatbox <laughs> version of this theme song, and so I don't know which way is up right now. I'm just confused. Everything's weird. Uh, my name is Don Marshall. I'm a big chubby guy living here in sunny Hollywood, and I too am a confused boy because yeah, it seems unnatural starting without our our theme song. So yeah. That's, that's Everything's cool. upside down. <laughs> I'm Dan Oliverio. I'm an author, public speaker, and chubby chaser, and um, I'm just fine. I think there is nothing worse than listening to acapella on Zoom <laughs> as people try to sync <laughs> up something that's unsinkable. Dare I mean, you? I mean, usually, usually at a, it's bad enough, like at a birthday party at a restaurant where no one's in the same key, or if some people are in more than one key. And <laughs> I'm I'm perfectly happy to to have it this way. So thank you, Trevor. Thanks for making my day. You're welcome. Really wants to sing happy birthday to Dan over over uh, our Skype. It is Max's birthday. We could do it. (laughs) As a point of reference for people listening to the future or in the future, um, (laughs) this Wednesday, this episode is released is inauguration day question mark. Everything's weird. It's 2021. It's still basically 2020. Literal terrorism threats from white supremacists across the United States to attack each state capital. So Wednesday Mm. might be a day of horror for all of us. If it is, tune it out. Listen to our soothing dulcet tones. Um, And maybe you're, I don't know, screaming like, no, it's so much worse than you could possibly imagine. (laughs) (laughs) In which case, hush, we're recording on a Saturday. We have a few more days of peace. Don't don't upset it for (laughs) us on Wednesday. All right. Um, I mean, on the theme of 2021 being uh, kind of terrible, I think um, as I was you know, dealing with our pop culture segment for this week, I feel like uh, 2021 uh, might be the year of the worst it's somethings yet. So let's yeah. roll that it's beautiful pop culture footage. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our first story coming in for this episode is um, a, th- a thing of absolute horror from uh. film director Darren Aronofsky, and unfortunately also Brendan Fraser, who I like, but uh, honestly, this is this is awful stuff. This is also sent in by a listener, but I think Trevor had already clocked it uh, for our Thursday call yes. when we talk about what we're going to talk about on the show. And so, what uh, is Darrenovsky's project called? Darren, the Whale. Darren, yes, it's called The Whale. It is based on uh, a play, uh, I believe, by the same name. Um, that's won a ton of awards, yes. including a GLAAD award. And it's this sort of reputed um, play, uh, well-regarded, being produced by A24, which is also a well-regarded um, independent company. film studio. Yeah. And uh, the, the problem, the <laughs> tiny, tiny little problem that we uh, have discovered quite cleverly uh-huh. through our research, it's about essentially a very very fat gay man who eats himself to death but there's more because (laughs) he's gay and kind of the i mean spoilers for a movie that i hope ends up like getting swallowed by the earth but um the play is about this man who uh, in prior to the play he's married uh has a wife and kid he's a college professor and he falls in love with one of his male students he leaves his wife and kid uh, they move in together and then the student's father shows up and is like, blah, 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 gay, bad. And they both mm-hmm. separate and the student former lover starves himself to death. And the main character is in the process of eating himself to death. So you can see where all the accolades in Lincoln Center productions come from with a fabulous premise <laughs> like this. I mean, it just bespeaks quality, right? Well, tortured gay person often means Oscar material. So, mm-hmm. And when uh, you get that tortured gay person and they're fat i mean (laughs) applause well so the thing that shocked me about this besides you know everything was the fact that it sounds like something that was written in like 1992 but this was written in 2012 
like this is we I thought we were past this. Like what the fuck? Well, I, I think what people are responding to the critical acclaim is is it reinforces all the sort of not it's the opposite of sort of blaming the fatty as as like you know a defective lack of willpower it's all these tropes of like the psychological dimension of obesity as mm -hmm. you know fat people are trying to push people away and in fact even the author of the play says I, that I, it's i have the quote so oh, go ahead I, um, oh yeah. This so this stuff. is from an interview in the New York Times because I really went down a rabbit hole with this play because I am I don't know, I am very impassioned. I do get ignited by stuff online, but also I'm like okay, but like maybe it's not that bad. So I went down a Tinder rabbit hole. His rabbit holes, and it got worse and worse. And this is from a New York mm -hmm. Times article um, where they interviewed Samuel D. Hunter, who was the playwright, um, and he said, in a way, Charlie doesn't hide himself because he's obese. He's obese because he hides himself. <gasps> and this really pissed me off because um, there was an instance I was kind of in this personal development seminar. Dan was there with me. And a woman, the woman leading it, called me out and saying, you know, you're fat to create distance between yourself and others. You use that as a mechanism. And like everyone lost their minds and like, oh, like, this oh my is God, so that's insightful. so right. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. And like, um, there was a woman that like pulled me aside after she's like, oh, wow, like she's really going to give it to us this weekend. Like I like, you know, I was impressed that she called you out like that. Mm. Oh, my God. And I was so mad and I was trying to figure out how to deal with this. And I had to in front of this room full of people be like, you know, I have to acknowledge what you said as completely wrong. And basically, I don't really remember what I said, but it was like I had to kind of bear a lot of like <laughs> I acknowledge the I don't know sexual dynamics of my body and that I'm very fine being fat and that you know my partners are fine with me being fat and very much so and that I enjoy that and just this I I found out later that that moment stuck with the woman who initially made the remarks and she's like wow like he really is good with his body and like it's she had never experienced that before but I should not have to do, I should not have to bear my soul because you right. make yeah. that initial assessment of someone based on their body. And if anything, people making those assessments are why that statement seems that way because people just have to deal with these um, preconceived notions. Right. And it's, the, it's this fucking asinine thing belief that you can just know exactly what's going on with somebody else whose experience is actually not yours and they're not living in your body or in your head how could they possibly know what it is that your experience is and and furthermore like patting themselves on the back because they think they've figured you out mm -hmm. like that's fucking insane that's that's psychopath behavior but it's like but it's seriously? based but it's based on these well-worn tropes that fat means x y or z and so as long as you say x y or z you're going to get a claim for that well, as, is the, as is the case for this play don you i think feel like you've been dying to say something. yes <laughs> yeah i'm trying to get that. something in here <laughs> <laughs> um well look part of this that i think I'm going to speak to my experience on this, right? I'm not saying this is the general experience of fat people, but this was my past, right? Uh, I was fat alone, right? I didn't talk about being fat with anyone. It was one of those ugly secrets that I knew everyone knew, but I was trying to keep it a secret somehow by not talking about it for most of my young adult life. Um, even though I knew other fat people, we were fat in isolation from each other, even though we were friends and talking about everything else. And when you are fat alone, you accept what the world keeps telling you over and over and over. And what the world told me over and over and over was that I was using fat as a barrier between myself and everyone else. And eventually, when you get told this shit enough times, you start believing it, right? And so that's what makes Trevor standing up for that uh, so incredibly fantastic. And it also sadly makes it so unsurprising that this woman had never heard a fat person stand up for themselves because we've been goddamn brainwashed over and over again that we are less than mm -hmm. we are terrible and that these truths that they're laying out in front of us go uncontested because we don't have a point of comparison when we're alone 
So the only way to fight that kind of thing is community, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really I'm like going that. going to though. share an experience I had when I was in college. I went to see a show in New York. It was a show called The Food Chain by a, a writer named Nikki Silver. I hated this show. And I remember it. The, I remember the title and the playwright to this day because mm. I hated it that much. It was the first time I saw a play with a representation of a fat person on it, right? And the arc of the fat person was, first off, they couldn't get a fat actor for the role. They had to use a guy in a fat suit because <sighs> it was so fucking offensive. Mm-hmm. Just um, like the whale. No fat man, no self-respecting fat person would ever have played this role. But the fat, the fat role in this play was a man who uh, had gained a tremendous amount of weight after breaking up with an ex-boyfriend who was a underwear model. Coming back as a fat man to the underwear model's apartment, begging him to take him back, Ooh. chasing oh, him around boy. the apartment while swilling yoo-hoo and eating the entire play. Just food down the front of a shirt, food everywhere. Oh my! Uh, God. I, I'm just curious, were they going for incredible comedy or ridiculous pathetic? They Yes, both. Uh, it was oh, supposed good. to be funny, right? No. Um, yeah, oh, it was okay. supposed to be funny. But I read the author's explanation for what he was going for in the play. Mm. The play is called The Food Chain, not because of food and obesity, but because he's trying to illustrate the power dynamics brought forth by physical attractiveness in the world. Right. Oh, and there are other characters of varying body types. But the fat guy was the one who was the joke. That's what (sighs) I remember. Um. And that hit me hard because, again, at that time, I was living in silence about my body and I was just accepting that's how people saw me because that was one of the very few representations of fat people I saw on the stage. Right. Yeah. So that's the danger of this thing. I mean, yeah, the whale may flop. Right. (laughs) But it may also be the one thing a fat person trying to grapple with themselves in the world gets to see that year. Um, which, uh, like I said, there's a lot, I'm going to post basically the rabbit hole I went down if you want to inflict it on yourself. Mm. Um, I I mean, uh, something that we haven't said, which I feel like we don't need to, because it's one of our, you know, the greatest hits is like, obviously there's fat suits involved in this, in the productions. Guy Branham had, um, a lot to say about that and posted several, um, videos from production, various productions of the show where they talked about constructing the fat suits and how. There's no morbidly obese actors to play this role. <laughs> yeah, right. there's just they don't exist. Oh my god! Uh, I'm sure well, I would I would so be hard. willing to go out on a limb that because they're looking for a character who's 600 700 pounds, yeah, there aren't a lot of 600 700 pound pound theater actors out there. You might find someone who's out in the world who'd be willing to be put on film for that. You you might do that. Like uh, I think they did that. Trevor, didn't you say they did that for who, What's Eating Gil, uh, Gilbert Grape? Yes. Um, the woman this, was, was found. This thread of uh, Guy, Guy Brandon talking about this, other people chimed in. Someone said, you know, for What's Eating Gilbert Grape, they went out and they found a 500-pound actress to play the role of the mother who is, you know, very fat. In mm-hmm. What's Eating Gilbert Grape, there is the scene where the mother is climbing the stairs after, you know, basically being on the couch, very limited mobility for a long time. And the actress, in reality, could not climb the stairs they had built for this set. But what they did is they're like, okay, we're acknowledging her limitations. They had footage. She had, they had her climb a few stairs and they basically looped that footage to make it work. It is like, Oh, if you find people and work with them and treat people like human beings, you can Mm -hmm. make a wonderful film. Yeah. The the anecdote (sighs) that I was thinking of was just Johnny Depp's character has to say a lot of awful things about Mm -hmm. her and every scene in which that occurred he would apologize profusely mm-hmm. uh, off camera just like mm. like in between takes is like i'm so like this is not you know which i obviously is not required to to play the part but i think it's just a nice gesture no i, I know being nice <laughs> giving fat people roles as fat people and treating them with kindness and i i mean it's not it shouldn't be this hard <laughs> but looking oh, at man. looking at the little clip of the whale I saw, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a very hard time finding a fat person willing to play the role. No, I it's obviously have I obviously have not seen this show. Maybe it's amazing. Maybe it's making fantastic statements. I'm basing it off of a 15 second clip 
Mm-hmm. And I know better than to do that. But all the descriptions that I've heard of the plot is just sort of innately offensive. So, yeah, I mean, there's and the writer's own description of it himself like that. Yeah. yeah. I, look, there's probably a reason why it's won so many awards and it's probably not poor quality. But I think the concepts and the themes that are being explored and the way in which they're being explored are 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 misguided at best. Yeah, that's yeah. being kind. So let's move on from yes, the horrors of the whale and move on to Fetwatch. Yes. Fetwatch 2021. Here to lift your yes. spirits and wash away all of that garbage. <laughs> A forecast of sunshine <laughs> after the rain of uh, pop culture this week. I saw this post this week um, from Spencer Pablo, however chubby on Instagram, uh, who I think we've mentioned before. He's a... Um, yeah fat photographer in San Diego who um, does a lot of photography of fat men as a way of kind of like exploring representation that he hasn't seen as a straight fat man. Mm-hmm. He posted a picture of this beautiful fat man and he said, if I saw people shaped like me when I was younger in actual good light, not the funny sidekick, comic relief, or butt of the joke, it would have changed so much. Which is a really simple and, and powerful sentiment. I mean, we've talked about this, but it, it bears repeating, especially when you look at the comments on his photos where people are saying, I've never agreed, like, you know, I've never seen fat people photographed beautifully. Like there's a, I mean, we're recording this on Saturday, January 16th, 2021. And uh, he just posted a, a photo today of a man uh, lying on his back with this incredibly soft, light wrapping down from above almost like moonlight and it is it's just a gorgeous photograph yeah. and you almost forget what it, it's art i mean it's just beautiful and he he obviously knows how to light his subjects in flattering ways and how to just show them off like beautiful people but it's it just goes to show that all it takes is a little bit of effort like what well, what i grab just, it just what i gravitate <laughs> to is where he's it's, it's the lighting so much of this yeah. is the lighting 100 percent and it's it, like, even if you look at these awful before and after shots of, of like, you know, I took this product and I lost weight and now look at me now. It, it, if you look at the difference in the quality of the photograph, it's very deliberate that they've tried to make the before picture look as horrible as possible. Yeah. And even if, mm-hmm. I mean, and there's even a parody of these. There's a lot of um, in, in, in the bodybuilding world because there's so much uh, hucksterism in selling supplements where like, you know, look look what uh, built me out did for me. And uh, there's actually a whole line of parodies of the same guy that two photos taken five minutes apart, but he mm-hmm. just changed his posture and they changed the lighting and it looks like yeah. he put on 10 pounds of muscle. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so much of this is really about the attitude of the photographer and the attitude of the model rather than, yeah. and, and I mean, cause that's where the beauty is. And that's, it's, that's filmmaking. I mean, yes. you can create an entire opinion and mood and appearance and tone ba- based purely on how you present the image itself. This subject can be identical and everything else can be changed. The performance, the look on the actor's face, the model, whoever, like you, you can completely change these things. And if, for instance, you bring a fat model into an unwelcome studio space or an unwelcoming studio space where they're not really being treated properly, their performance is probably also going to suffer even around the fact that maybe they're not being lit properly. And that's going to create a misleading image of that model who, if, for instance, however Chubby had photographed them, they might look stunning and it's the same person, but their attitude and the way that they're being photographed is completely different. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I got to say, I've seen images like this before of fat women. I have not seen many attempts to do this with men. There have been a few, mm-hmm. but honestly, what I like more about the stuff I'm seeing on his page is that it looks like even even these photo shoots, they look like just guys in life, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a naked mm-hmm. man mid-leap. With his arms spread wide to the sky. No, it's it's a dude standing next to a bar. It's it's a guy uh, leaning against a wall. It's not like kinesiology art. It's specifically just art of a human being in life. And I prefer that just yeah. because I can well, connect to it better. Well, and if you think about a lot of the really sexy shots of um, the, traditionally, the traditional gay art photos of mm-hmm. showing amazing bodies and the, you know, they're lying on a bed. 
they're looking over their shoulder. They're not doing much, but because of the lighting and the natural beauty of their body, the shots are exquisite. And all we've done here is we've just shown how beautiful the fat body can be, the, the fat male body can be. Again, doing the same thing, hanging out, looking not a particularly, as you say, not a particularly uh, <laughs> acrobatic pose, mm -hmm. but just well lit and therefore showcasing the beauty of this kind of body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, highly recommend his channel. There's yeah. a lot of photos on there if you want to check it out. They're they're beautiful. They're well shot. A lot of different models. Um, just a really, really good mm. Instagram page. Um, he also uh, has a lot of great um, tutorials for like he has a tutorial like, okay, here's how you can recreate this lighting system he used for the picture Michael talked about. Mm -hmm. How to do levitation photos without hurting yourself. How to <laughs> take photos in small spaces. I mean, a lot of things to kind of recreate some of the things he does in his photos. So check it out. Yeah. Um, however, Chubby on Instagram, he also has a separate page for more photography called Spencer Pablo Photography and uh, mm -hmm. photography.com. Yes. Um, so what else we got going on in the Fat Watch today? Uh, we have, um, I put it as uh, Latrice Royale is nuts because... <laughs> um, there is a new ad campaign for squirrel brand nuts has a new product called Ruby Royale. These chocolate, it's a, a nut mix with, uh, Ruby cocoa coated nuts, um, which is a pink type of cocoa. Um, yeah, which Don was saying it's kind of, it's sour. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't have a very chocolatey flavor profile to me. To me, it's kind of sour and vaguely fruity. Yes. <laughs> Hmm. Um, but this nut mix they're releasing to coincide with Valentine's Day has a bunch of ads starring Latrice Royale. Yay. Uh, of, Who is Latrice Royale? Uh, Latrice Royale is a uh, fat black drag queen who rose to fame in RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm -hmm. I, I don't watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm sorry. I know there's people like, but Trevor. But I, Trevor. Um, <laughs> I love Latrice. Uh, I saw Latrice at um, Bigger Vegas 20... Oh, that's right. 18, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so um, 40 years ago. Yeah. Ama <laughs> amazing performer. And I just love these ads. Um, I love that there is a fat, fat black drag queen doing an ad for nuts. And like they're leaning into like some nut jokes. And it is this <laughs> very glamorous, sparkly pink commercial. Yeah. I love it. And Latrice is amazing. I'm still and trying to get my jaw off the floor that a food company actually hired a fat person to sell food, which on the one hand seems like a no brainer, but on the other hand is absolutely taboo. You never show fat people eating your product. Oh my God. And I've got to say, just talking about photography in our last bit, look at the photography in this commercial. Mm, yeah. She looks fantastic. She's stunning. The, the whole aesthetic is this luxurious uh, shades of pink. Um, and deep red and mm. she's got this like satin gown on I mean it's yeah it, it, worth checking out for the photos alone and maybe we should do I think we should for our Valentine's special um, it'd be great podcasting if we were all eating these nuts during <laughs> yeah. the show yeah. <laughs> just Michael would love that future Michael <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're all gonna eat nuts okay yeah but yes. you know what I, I think it's worth throwing a little bit of support to that company if uh mm -hmm. If you want to see more more fat spokespeople, let's let's show that it can work. Yes. If so. you like the flavor of nuts, support. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't like nuts the in ruby your mouth. chocolate, feel free to buy a few packages and give them to your friends. That's yeah. right. Um, yay. Well, that's that. I feel better now. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Fat Watch. <laughs> <laughs> and Fat Watch kind of winks and then flies off into the sky till next week. <laughs> Bye, bitch. <laughs> um, okay. So... So we're here. We've made it. For our main subject today, uh, we had a listener write in, um, I think it was somewhat recently, like a week or two ago, uh, talking about, uh, we touched on labels in our Chub for Chub episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, we there's a lot more there. And I think particularly the discussion about the purpose that labels can serve and the effects that it has on people. But um, the listener wrote in, uh, I've always been frustrated by the dichotomy, both in the labels and the, in the culture's understanding of them. As a chubby guy who is a chaser, it felt weird to identify with the slim muscular image of the chaser, but people would tell me that I'm not fat enough to be a chub, and saying chub for chub feels so pedantic. Labels are helpful for self-identification, but often fall short of full understanding. We have touched on labels in the past, right? 
And what he mentions here is that, yes, labels are convenient as a way to sort of just a way to shorthand your physical description in the world. And often it can be very difficult to find a label that is just you because none of us are a label, right? I am a, I am a chubby guy, but I don't define myself by being a chub. I am also, you know, a rabid liberal and <laughs> lots of other things. So I, I feel like there's a natural resistance to labels, understandably, because we don't want to feel like we're just being put into a little box, especially when these labels are supposed to represent the way the world sees us. I, yeah, I think it's helpful to look at labels as more of an educational tool and less of a way of becoming your identity because for some people that's great and it can become your identity. That's awesome. Go do it. But then I think it creates a pressure for people who are still finding themselves and where they fit to have to fit themselves into some category. And there, I think it's more helpful. Like for me, you know, when I first was, when I was young and still discovering the kind of guys I like, like, you know, young teenager, uh, the first label I fell upon that, that started to make sense for me was bear. But if you ask me now, do I, am I into bears? The answer is really not really. So it was helpful for, to, to like, as a learning tool to guide me in the right direction, because there was a, literally a term I could search for. Mm -hmm. And that led me to other terms and that led me to other communities. And when I started meeting actual people, the terms didn't, really matter as much anymore because then it was more about uh, connecting with a person on an individual level. Mm -hmm. um, but it was important for me to have that starting point. And I think if there wasn't a name for that community, I don't know that I would have found it that easily. It would have been, it would have taken a lot more time and confusion. Well, I mean, as you know, as a millennial, mm. as one of the, uh, <laughs> the two millennials on this podcast, um, I might understand it. I mean, I did a whole paper on bears when I was in college which I was going to do a paper on the chip chaser community, but I'm like, there's not enough here to like write. I can't remember how many pages it was, but I'm like, I'll do bears. And like, I can include like kind of roll up chub and chaser into that a little bit. And my understanding of kind of all of these terms is that it came from, you know, the old, the old days of the internet, the wild West where you didn't necessarily <laughs> have pictures and not even just the internet, like newspaper ads mm -hmm. or, you know, what? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You'd go and give your, your nickel to the little, the, the newsie on the street and <laughs> open up to the pornographic section of the newspaper. <laughs> um, oh, those are the days. <laughs> and I, I think it's useful in that sense of like a vague idea. Like, you know, Michael was able to like, okay, bears are a thing. Like, let's look in, you know, I'll flip to the bears section of the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And even just um, the notion of community from these terms, like there is, a subset of lesbians that are trying to make bare lesbians a thing. Uh, Ursula's. Really? And part Ursa. of that comes from... <laughs> Get it? Ursa? Ursa? The, is that an Ursa pun? Yes. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I, I kind of love that. Actually. Um, That's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. But the, the they like, the, the, there's an article in Extra, which I'll share, but this woman describes, you know, liking the community and that lesbians don't really have all of these categories that create communities. Mm. So because there, you know, there are lesbians do have kind of labels, but I think far less than, you know, the, I don't know, the zoo of gay men with <laughs> bears and otters and polar bears and panda bears and chubs and chasers and super chub and mega chub and silver fox. Yeah. And yeah, it goes on and on. Oh, and, and, and pigs. On and on. Don't forget the, there's pigs too. There's little pigs. The piss pigs. Oh god. Oh yeah. Well, and the pups. Is there the an animal? The, is there an animal out there hugs. that isn't used to describe some physical type of men or women? <laughs> I mean, Hippogriff. there's lizard people, but the, which is not a sex thing, but a a conspiracy thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually the people's discontent with labels usually happens when it, it is precisely around this area of community. And, and in fact, the person who wrote us is exemplifying what I'm about to say. People get exasperated with labels when they go, OK, well, I guess I'm closest to this label. They yeah. go out into that community of said label and all of a sudden they're feeling or sometimes being told they don't fit in like, oh, you're not an X. You're I don't know what you are, but you're not an X. You're not a this. Mm -hmm. You're not a, you're not an us. You're a them. 
And that's when yeah. people really get miffed with labels, and, and rightly so. And then there's two, usually two possibilities that come from that. Either the person goes, well, fuck labels. You don't know me, man. How dare you? And and all these, and the menagerie. And it does, the the, the menagerie that we talked about, the otters and bears and 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 cubs and pups. And it, it gets, it, it, it can be crushing. <laughs> there's just a lot yeah. to keep track of. <laughs> but then the other the other side of that is exactly what, that, what just happened, is you tend, the other extreme is that people start making labels for every little variation. Becomes a whole new label. Mm-hmm. And irrespective mm-hmm. of the fact that, you know, we had a perfectly good label for that three years ago, but, you know, you weren't around three years ago, so you made your own term for it. Now that's the new term. And we this <laughs> and social media greatly accelerates that process that, you yeah. know, we used to have a term for this, but we but we stopped using it for 10 seconds. And now people have like, oh, my God, did you know this exists? Yes. Yes, Virginia. We knew that exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, something that came from, you know, my in college, my deep dive into the bear community is the bear code which is exactly yeah a labeling system where there's all these categories I'm, and like I'm familiar with the bear I'm trying code. to think of how to describe it like um so the bear code is predicated on the on the idea that there are various attributes of the bear so yes. there's hairiness there's there's fat versus muscle there's age mm-hmm. there's uh, how aggressive you are beard how length. much you beard length how mm-hmm. much you how receptive you are to being bear hugged or touched. And so then all of these attributes are given a sort of rating for the individual. Like one rates oneself, like how hairy am I? Mm -hmm. How much do I want to be hugged? And it created these, just these terrible computer science-like tags that went on for like 30 characters because they were meant for magazines in the Mm. days before pictures. So you would say that Mm. you're a bear of like, H plus, which meant hairy, but not H plus plus, which would be hairy, hairy. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and you had, and, and these, I, these character strings would go on forever. And it was sort of like reading hieroglyphics. And, can I read one? Yes, please. Yes. As an example, uh, a dude named Bob Donahue, an author of, I think of this particular article is a B5 C plus F S minus colon W T minus R K question mark. Whoa. <laughs> I, so I would give up at that point and go straight. Yeah. <laughs> but they see, have that's Wilford Brimley on the list, by the way. <laughs> Santa Claus is down there. Yeah. So, but my point is that that's not a label. That's fucking barcode. Right. Yeah. And, and at some point you're like, okay, that would be useful if you were never going to talk to the person and you wanted them to show up at your door and you knew what you were going to get, which in the old days, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I met, I met great guys through the village voice phone personals back in the day, you know, but <laughs> I'm just saying that it, it had a function, but now it's sort of, uh, it's sort of odd. Same thing with the hanky code. The hanky code was designed to identify oh, sexual yeah. behavior across yeah. a bar. Yeah. I think it becomes problematic when you start. Um, I think the power of a label is that it can help create community, but it can also in create community. It also creates a uh, division. Like I'm, I'm with them, not them. Well, that's inherent and, in any, any group of people by, by definition, a group of people excludes, excludes a group of people. Otherwise it wouldn't be a group. It would just be everybody. Right. And if you are, if you happen to fall between two categories, um, it, it can feel, I, I, so one of one of the many many struggles of my adult life has been figuring out where I fit, um, because there's a lot of places where I look like I should fit and I don't, and there's a lot of places where I want to fit and I also don't. And just f- I actually, I thank Don for this. Like falling into the geek crowd mm. has been like one of the best journeys of my life. Like getting into D and D, which has only been in the last three or four years. Um, that has been that's like finding my tribe, and I think yeah. that I. I think that once you figure out where you feel good, I think that's where you can start to to settle in. And it doesn't necessarily have to be under a certain label. Like if, for instance, our writer wrote in, he's a fatter chaser, but not necessarily what most people would call chub sized. Um, I don't know. I do. Do, what would another chub have to hear from you to understand that they're into you? Is it just, oh, I like chubby guys. Do you have to call yourself a chaser? Do you have to call yourself chub for chub? I mean, that, I think that's the thing that this writer's probably struggling with is like, how does he navigate his own personal experience looking for guys that he's into? Like, how does he describe himself to somebody? I mean, obviously I have, I have ideas on that. The thing though, is that we could do a whole main topic discussion 
<clears throat> of what do you do when you fall betwixt and between? When you're when you feel like you're not mm. fat enough for the chub community, but you're not thin enough for the chaser community. And by chaser community, I mean the, the when the chubs say, no, I want someone lean and fit, they don't mean you. That person's dating pool can be confusing because it's real easy to identify as a twink. It's real easy to identify as a chub. Uh, but that but that place in between uh, becomes an interesting problem, but not for identity. That's marketing. Hmm. That's how do you want to present yourself to get what you want? That's a marketing job. And I, yeah, and, and and that's not about who you are. It's so it's more about who you want. To <laughs> underscore what Dan says, absolutely. If, if the, <laughs> the minute you start internalizing these labels, hmm. you start running into some problems. Um, these are these are tags for your wrapper because people can't always see what's what's there. So, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it's it. Yeah, I am. I'm uh, well, yammering now. Yeah, so. literally, because you said tags, because people on some sites do search by these parameters. They search for a term like super chub. Mm -hmm. They search for a particular weight. Uh, at one point on Bigger City, no longer, you could search by BMI. But they decided that that was such nonsense that they took it out because my BMI looks a lot like, a, you know, a, a BMI of somebody who looked entirely different from me. <laughs> Wait, did it prove the falsehood of BMI? Pretty much, pretty much. Because, <laughs> yeah, because a a pretty ch because a bodybuilder and a chub of, say, you know, 250, 300 pounds could come off with the same BMI. Mm -hmm. I just I kind of thought of this um, and I. I mean, I think I'm probably the most versed in this, maybe followed by Dan. Um, within kind of the, the fat activist community, there is a whole spectrum of fatness, yes, um, which has different terms. Um, it's a way for people to refer to their level of fatness from going from small fat, medium fat, super fat to infinite fat in kind of recognizing various levels of fat privilege in terms of like, Someone who is a small fat, which they say is a 1x to 2x or size 18 and lower, you know, they have may have trouble shopping, but it is completely different than someone who is InfiniFat, which is 6x or higher or size 34 or higher. Mm. And just the way they navigate the world is different. Right. And I, I think those labels are useful because, I mean, in um, go, going back to the whale, um, you know, Samuel Hunter in the, the interview in the New York Times said, you know, well... I was fat as a child, so I am able to drop myself into that experience. You know, I wasn't morbidly obese, but I had an experience as a fat person. It's like, but no, you, you, what? A fat child does not make, you know, your experience as a fat child yeah. is valid and you do have some insight, but it is completely different than writing the experience of someone who is, you know, infinifat. And, or just and fat think, as an adult. Yeah. When you're a fat child, you don't have an experience of fat sexuality or what it is to be a, a fat person in a sexual world. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Right. You don't make, it's not about job, job interviews. It's not about dating and things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think what Trevor hits on is something really key here, which is the purpose or environment or context of the label. You mm -hmm. know, the labels in the gay community are, are for dating. Mm -hmm. They are designed to get someone who is compatible in an external sense like physicality, mm -hmm. like very, very external, very surface, such that you could, like you're ordering from a catalog, the way you would order color, size, and and fabric from a clothing catalog. That's what a lot of the labels in the gay community are for. They're for hooking up. The labels that Trevor were was talking about of small, medium, large, and infinifat, these are labels that are designed to show various degrees of privilege in a system of fat oppression. Mm -hmm. And, and, Therefore, the labels are different and the labels have different borders. You know, I get asked all the time or, you know, a, a chub will say like this guy online, he said I wasn't a super chub. He said I was just a chub. What's the, what's the you know, where's the dividing line between chub and super chub? And the answer is that's a stupid question. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, and gainers. Oh, my God. Gainers are really, really into this question because they want to achieve that status of super chub. And they're not sure if they're there yet. And they want some sort of confirmation, some sort of objective measure that they've made it. So it, it becomes and, and everybody, of course, then spins their own. We could go on. You could you could find pages mm -hmm. and pages of commentary on what makes a chub versus a super chub. And then, as Trevor mentioned last time, <laughs> a mega chub. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's it, it's fine, <laughs> but it, it's 
it only works so far as everybody knows what we're talking about, number one. And two, part of what we're talking about is a context for the label. What is the label designed to get you? What is it designed to show? I, I have a question here also based on what our listener wrote, because at the end he says uh, calling himself Chubb for Chubb feels pedantic. And I'm wondering about the baggage attached to labels within a community. Like say we're on Bigger City, because I think that's like a classic example for the Chubb Chaser world. If, you know, if identifying yourself as Chubb for Chubb or Super Chubb uh, is is going to present yourself a certain way, but maybe it's accurate, but maybe you don't want to be seen that way, but it's true. Like what, what is there baggage attached to certain labels? And what does that mean? Like, for instance, for me, I don't, I don't think I would have, like, I haven't, I haven't been on bigger city in probably almost a decade, but I think at the point that I was on bigger city, I would never have typed the word super chub. But if I were to go on there now for whatever reason, and I was looking to date, that's where I would start because I think I know, what I'm into now more, mm -hmm. but I think back then, like that decade ago, it maybe that felt like it had baggage. I don't know. I don't, yeah, it, it just feels mm -hmm. different. It feels more, it's, I guess it's more specific, but yeah. So I'm, yeah. What do you guys think about that? I totally agree with that, that a lot of people would ne like a lot of chasers, they would date someone 400 pounds if they didn't know they were 400 pounds. <laughs> they would date a super chub mm -hmm. as long as the label super chub never cropped up. I think that happens right. a lot because it's like, oh, no, no, I, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not that kind of chaser. Yes, you are. Look, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think chasers, it is. It, I think there's no like in between. I think it's like 100 percent. Yes, super chub. Like they're all for super chubs or it's like the like Dan said, like the like, oh, no, like I couldn't. <laughs> I could possibly. I, I couldn't. <laughs> Uh -huh. Well, and, and add to that the fact that most chasers are completely clueless, like most of the population, about the sizes and weights of fat people. I mean, it's like in Hollywood, there's this thing where if someone is over 300 pounds, oh, my God, can they walk? Because, you know, 300 pounds, that's as high as the scale goes. I mean, there's nothing after that but immobility. And <laughs> there is definitely that feeling in a place like Hollywood or, or Manhattan. Uh, and then you go out to the Midwest and they're like, yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's a normal size guy. He's like 250, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and people don't know. And I'm sure every fat person out there has a story of where their their weight was radically misguessed. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So I think maybe what would help this listener is looking at the context in which this label is being used and not and trying not to treat it like an identity, but really like Dan was saying, like w this is specifically in the dating world, I assume, because he's talking about people he's attracted to being yep. chubs. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, maybe you use, I don't know. I don't know what he looks like, but maybe using chub for chub in one context is accurate as a way of attracting the right kind of guys. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be your whole identity. It's literally just a way to filter. Um, and then, you know, connecting with the person on a, on an individual level is what actually becomes important after that. Um, I, I know these labels often kind of simmer in our minds. Cause like for me trying to find a place where trying to figure out my own marketing brand sucked. Like it was really hard. You know, the bear community didn't seem quite right. You know, the Chubb community didn't seem that right at the time. Um, so it's best to remember that, like, just cycling back to what Dan said earlier, again, these things are dating labels. Mm -hmm. You can't let these things define you beyond that, you know, because there's all sorts of preconceptions on what a twink is. And if that starts leaking in the rest of your life because you've accepted the label and you start changing your own personality to fit the label, that's going against the purpose of these things. Mm -hmm. Or when mm -hmm. you start yeah. tagging things on like, well, twinks are stupid. And twinks are slutty and fat men are lazy and super chubs are weak. Yep. And, you know, <laughs> that then, you, right, then you're right. really then you're just into prejudice, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't assign morality to labels like Trevor says about food. Don't assign morality food or labels. <laughs> New tagline for the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we have a tip today? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of put the tip with um, however chubby. Okay. Once again, check out however chubby on Instagram. And I think. Like my, my tip is look at his tutorials to, I don't know, get some new sexy pictures for your uh, bigger city ad where you're going to yeah. check whatever label you want as your marketing. Lighting, lighting, lighting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Having a, a, a lot of actual techniques to give yourself some really, really nice 
profile pictures mm-hmm. and then go out and get some, maybe, maybe not now, but you know, when COVID ends, yeah. you know, in 30 years. <laughs> well, I brought a bit today. Yay. Yay. All the bits, so all the bits. Dan said that there's no fat pitch people out there, especially not in food. And uh, I prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Immediately called bullshit. And (laughs) goddamn, if I didn't just find fat product pitch people falling out of my ears. So um, to be clear, I said for food. I said specifically for food. Yep. Yep. Okay. But I brought in four examples, um, uh, three of which are food icons. Okay. All right. Hmm. Uh, Now, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start you off with just basically a physical description of the. Paula Dean, final answer. Of the person I'm, or the person or character I'm talking about. Okay. So our first one, for example, is he is a cartoon, not a real Mm. person. Okay. So I'm going to give you hints as to who this person is. When you have a guess, buzz in and uh, let me know who you're thinking of. So. Okay. One, he's older than you think. Born in 1898, he's still recognized today. Originally named, originally named Bibbendum, he was na- and the pronunciation may be wrong there. He was naked for most of his early life, though today he wears a sporty sash that has his current day name. Oh, ding 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 ding. Dan, I mean, I'm guessing here, Baby New Year. Nope. Oh. Though uh-huh. he started out life as white, he became black when the product he pitched changed colors in the marketplace. The company quickly changed him back to white for aesthetic reasons. <laughs> and the final hint, this, I always try to get as obvious as I can with the last one. While not necessarily straight up fat, he did lose a lot of weight in 1998. He's definitely got a spare tire. Or maybe two. Oh, oh ding, And he's ding, never ding. lacking uh, a rubber. Ding, ding. Trevor, <laughs> I heard you ding first. <laughs> the, the Michelin yeah. man. You are correct. The Michelin man. <laughs> The Michelin wow. Man is so iconic, uh, like such an iconic fat character that in the hmm. Urban Dictionary, uh, um, being called a Michelin Man is a slur for a fat hookup that you were too drunk to recognize or that sort of thing. Uh, oh uh, boy, that's fun. All right. I didn't realize tires went dated back that far. Yeah. yeah and actually yes. tires were white or beige originally when they came up with a new sort of uh, uh, additive that makes them more long lasting and durable. They became black. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, character number two. This one is a cartoon that looks like a real person. Born in 1937, right here in Glendale, California, this mascot spent most of his life with food in his hands. Oh, ding, 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 ding. ding. Oh, Dan. Bob's big boy. You are correct. Bob's big boy. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good guess. They got some interesting additional facts for him. Just to, let me throw these at sure. you. In 1969, he apparently cloned himself because you had an East Coast and West Coast version of him uh, that oh. looked fair, like looked quite different actually. And when they put out these promotional items, like these lines of comic books featuring him, yeah. they had to actually print two different versions <laughs> for the East and West Coast. Our third pitch person, she's a real person, does not look like a cartoon. Although she was born in 1958, she became the spokesperson for her company in the early 90s with a career lasting about five years. She got her job because working as a receptionist for the company headquarters. Ding. Trevor. Wendy the Snapple Lady. You are correct. Wendy oh, the Snapple Lady. Oh, yeah. She was a popular pitch person for the Snapple brand for most of the early 90s. Um mm. And though, uh, you know, her post career has been varied. She appeared on Celebrity <laughs> Fit Club twice. Uh, she now actually produces a line of clothing for bigger women. Nice. Huh. Hmm. All right. Our fourth and final pitch person of this list. A real life person looks like a cartoon. <laughs> Wait, does that mean the person's <laughs> face looks cartoonish or they are dressed up like a cartoon? You'll have to figure that out. <gasps> okay. Oh, mystery. <laughs> okay. Born in 1971, this fussy, fuzzy weirdo started off as a villain out to steal a popular dessert. Start, uh, starting out as a four-handed thief, he quickly lost ding, the ding, extra ding, arm. Ding, ding, oh, ding. Uh, uh, I, I can't tell if it was Michael or Dan. Dan? Dan. The Grimace, the McDonald's shake Yes, Meister. Grimace, the, uh, the shake-obsessed uh, McDonald lands <laughs> character. Like younger people might not actually know who Grimace is anymore because apparently so. the last time he appeared in a commercial was 2003 when they discontinued the entire McDonald land 
promotions. <laughs> so, and there are more. There are more. I didn't dive into them, but Aunt Jemima uh, is a pretty iconic fat food pitch person. Uh, you I could suppose. argue the Kool Aid Man. It's a stretch, uh, but okay. He's, <laughs> he's a round, round, plump. Yeah, he's a pitch pitcher. Person. Yes, <laughs> there are thin pitchers. Wait, are you saying he's hot? <laughs> um, you could argue the Pillsbury Doughboy, although I don't actually think he's that fat. Uh, but oh, he's fat. He's, I think he's fatter than he's, he's adorable. adorable. Shut your mouth. He's adorable. You know, but a lot of a lot of these fat icons were slimmed down over time. So Pillsbury Doughboy now is thinner than he was then. He is mm-hmm. definitely when they now. by the yeah. time they discontinued Aunt Jemima, she was already trimming down in the face. So there is as long as your food is trying to pitch a comforting or a fun uh, aspect to it, fat pitch people have been acceptable for quite a while. Uh, not if you want to advocate your food stuff as healthy, though, which is one of the reasons why McDonald's kind of swung their advertising in a very different direction well, I, uh, I th- in the early 2000s. I think there's the other side of that pendulum, Don, which is how much uh, an industry is going to get excoriated for having a fat spokesperson, because anytime you have a fat spokesperson, you are accused of glorifying and promoting obesity. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but if but if that icon is sort of beloved and not attempting to make it sexy, I think you can often avoid that sidestep that we've seen that in the past. So can you think of other uh, fat icons or pitch people that we should have thought of for this list? Let us have- know. <laughs> We're on Twitter and Instagram as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five stars in a review on Apple or Stitcher. Do uh, you want to see all the the links to the very upsetting stuff I looked at to talk about the whale, <laughs> it's on our Trevor's website rabbit hole. as www.bigfatgaypod.com. Um, yeah. And here we are once again. We're at the end of the episode. Um, maybe you're listening. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're about to dig into some delicious uh, delicious Ruby Royale nuts <laughs> and you, uh, you open the can, but then there's a pink blur that comes by. And it's wow. Michael. He's the nut burglar. And he's going <laughs> to gobble your nuts. So, uh. yum, 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 yum. Look out. Who doesn't love the taste of nuts? I mean, I, look, we have to embrace who we are. Mm. <laughs>